and that senior civil servants were saying, is that FOIable? Destroy it. With laughing emojis, they would be calls for resignations. That was campaigning solicitor Amar Anwar, who represents the Scottish COVID bereaved families, currently watching in dismay at some of the evidence emerging from the UK inquiry sitting in Edinburgh. We'll hear from him in our feature interview coming up shortly. Welcome to the Stushi, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip, and on this episode, I'm joined by Justin Bowie and Alistair Clark for a look at the only story in town this week. Like many listeners, we've been following the COVID inquiry closely, but none as closely as you, Alistair. Here's my stab at a background report first, though. There are two inquiries, the Scottish one and the UK one. The UK one is meeting in Edinburgh at the moment to hear from key figures such as clinical director Jason Leach, chief medical officer Sir Gregor Smith and uh, Nicola Sturgeon, uh, who was, of course, first minister through that whole period. Before the inquiries, Boris Johnson was the one getting the heat, quite rightly, for rule-breaking and general anarchy. The Scottish government's approach had been framed as the sensible one, but that trust is now being tested to breaking point. Messages were missing on WhatsApp, questions about records were evaded, if addressed directly at all, and now messages we were told didn't happen are emerging from the woodwork through third parties. It is not pretty. That brings us to the revelations in the past few days. Alistair, I think I can pass to you here. What key things did we learn this week? Yeah, it's been quite a week. Um, these inquiries uh, over the last few weeks have been interesting at points. At other points have been important questions about process and, um, you know, how, how government works. So they've not been, um, you know, super interesting or super engaging. Um, but this week has been a real blockbuster day after day. So what we've learned, a couple of really important things. Um, number one, We've seen how the government worked during the COVID pandemic, how decisions were made, who the who the players were, who the advisors were. And, you know, we, we kind of knew that, but it was good just to see exactly how that worked. We've also seen how, how they reacted to things in private. Um, so we've seen Nicola Sturgeon react to the Aberdeen FC statement after some of their players tested positive for COVID following a real breach. Um, at a city centre bar, mm. she was absolutely furious about that, and we, we kind of knew that you know she was angry, but she described the the statement that Aberdeen FC shared as a complacent abomination, which you know goes quite a bit further than she certainly did in the in the COVID press um, conferences during the week that you know she discussed that in August twenty twenty. We also seen how people, you know, spoke about issues privately. Hamza Yousaf, who was at that point Health Secretary, messaging Jason Leach for advice on how he could follow the rules at an event he'd been invited to. And, and Jason Leach admitted to him that, you know, although the rules were that you should be wearing a mask at events, as long as he was standing up and holding a drink, even though he wasn't drinking it, he could get away with not wearing a mask. Um, and then Jason Leach admitted in these messages that, well, you know, nobody follows the rules anyway. Mm. Um, you know, it just kind of shows that how complicated I think the rules were at that point around, you know, where you were, how many people were there, you know, what exactly you were doing and one minute to the next would, would uh, influence, you know, what type of rule you followed. Yeah. And if the health secretary didn't understand that and the national clinical director was sort of offering advice on how to skirt around the rules, 
you know, what hope did did ordinary people have? Yeah. So it's been quite interesting this week just to to see that. Well, everyone remembers the actual pandemic and it's it really does transport you back when you, you get a, another wee glimpse behind the curtain of what folk were saying in private. Like, I mean, I remember what the, the, the public part of the Aberdeen FC thing. And now we learn, of course, that Jason Leach was also offering unsolicited, it would appear, advice on how much punishment Aberdeen should get. I mean, didn't know the national clinical director was in charge of docking football club points but there we go um he was quite happy to tell the sports minister at the time about that it's all kind of coming back and i think maybe don't know if you guys agree but the the there was a bit of a kind of amnesia that we'd forced on ourselves about some of the horrible parts of the pandemic just kind of wanted it to go away and and it, it made it difficult to get back in to how we can hold government to account over these things because people really just went, oh, not again, you know. Do you agree that it's it's finally putting it back into the public consciousness? A bit like what's happened to the post office inquiry in some ways. I think so. And I think um, there's quite a lot of anger about it. You know, we've seen some of the, the, the people who lost loved ones to COVID um, yesterday after the inquiry. Quite a lot of really palpable anger because uh, one woman said, you know, she was sitting watching this unfold and thinking, well, you know, at least at least this isn't England where Boris Johnson had, you know, a, a bit more of a difficult time mm. in real time during the crisis about how he was responding. You know, she was saying that, you know, she was watching that and thinking, well, at least we have Nicola Sturgeon, at least we have um, these politicians here. But but now, you know, she said she feels a bit silly for, for thinking like that. Mm. Um, so I think there's quite a lot of anger People remembering what happened, seeing what was really going on, understandably, and starting to ask questions about that. Yeah. I went along to the COVID inquiry on Tuesday, the 23rd of January, where I spoke to Amar Anwar between the sessions. He's the solicitor at the head of the Scottish Bereaved Families Group. They've been explaining their experiences throughout and they're, they're not taking no for an answer. They are clearly very committed to getting answers here. Amar Anwar, it's worth pointing out here, if anyone doesn't know, is a well-regarded human rights lawyer. He's involved in all manner of high-profile cases beyond the COVID inquiry, but he's also got a personal friendship with Hamza Yousaf, Scotland's first minister. He joined the SNP after the independence referendum, for example, and was touted as a potential candidate, which never happened. Um, that sort of important background is something he reflects on here. Like Alistair, you just mentioned the, the anger that some people are feeling about perhaps feeling a little bit betrayed. It's something that he's clearly feeling. He has, however, also been extremely keen to point out repeatedly that he is doing his job um, with COVID families, which is also causing him some problems among the more excitable members of Scotland's two constitutionally obsessed communities. Let's pick up the interview here after I asked him about the difficulties of getting senior figures, including Nicola Sturgeon, to hand over evidence from their conversations. Well, we've been in a position for several months where we have been privy to disclosure of the evidence. When we started raising the issue back in March 2023, we asked for disclosure of all WhatsApp messages, of telecommunication messages, not just for the UK government, but at the time we made submissions in London for the disclosure of the Scottish government ministers. And over this period of several months, repeatedly, we were lambasted. We were told, just wait for the time. Nobody's asked for them. They will be handed over. And of course, we now know there was industrial scale deletion. There's no getting around that. The idea that somehow, you know, I, I think I said today that it, it, it's not a conspiracy, it's not a smear, it's by her own words that the former First Minister Nicola Sturgeon has been judged. She is the one who said in an interview in August 2021 that nothing was off limits and that because of the statutory public inquiry, she would have to hand over material. And lo and behold, we find out, what, in 2024, that she has nothing to hand over. 
and it's through third party texts and WhatsApps that we're finding out the conversations were had and the bulk of material is not available. Now, the families that I represent were entitled to have that provision. They believed, they were told this would be handed over. They were told that things would not be destroyed. And yet they're now finding out from the National Clinical Director, they find about from um, Nicola Sturgeon, who's still to give evidence, um, that we know that there was whole-scale deletion. And the question is, why? And the question is, when? When was the deletion taken place? Because we know from May 2020, when Nicholas stood up in Parliament and said that there would be a form of a public inquiry after the Care Home scandal. We know in August 2021 that John Sweeney, the Deputy First Minister, stood up in the Parliament and said that there would be uh, a public inquiry. We know in December when the judge was appointed and we know that we were the first in the United Kingdom to set up a public inquiry. February 2022, it was announced. From that moment there on, why did nobody bother telling anyone actually we don't have whatsapps why has it been like getting blood out of a stone we have been on the offensive we've gone to war with boris johnson and company to try and get our hands on that material there's been a treasure trove of information the idea that individuals out there are saying oh well we just have to take someone's word there was nothing in it we know from jason leach today advice was tendered decision making did take place between core individuals at the highest end of government, i.e. Nicola Sturgeon and various others. Yet for some reason, we don't have that. And that makes it impossible to carry out robust scrutiny and interrogation to know exactly what was going on. And people are entitled, the COVID bereaved who fought for this inquiry who had promises made to them by Nicola Sturgeon and John Sweeney. They thought they were going to be different. And that is what is devastating. That's what's a betrayal. This is not a personal issue. From me, I act on behalf of my clients without fear or favour. This was some, this is how Boris Johnson was subjected to in terms of his derisory response and what he did. And now, sadly, the situation is for the COVID breathed in Scotland, they are left with their trust shattered. You mentioned trust there, and that's an important word because you're trying to get answers for your clients, the, the bereaved families that want answers about what happened. Looking forward, there's a huge issue now of people who put a lot of trust in the people who were telling them what to do every day on TV and were kind of hearing that they were having separate little chats in the background. Do you worry, or do your uh, debris families worry, that this is going to have a long-term damage uh, to people's trust in officials and government? I, I, I think what we have seen since COVID began, there was a, a great deal of trust within Scotland because of presentational, uh, we've already had witnesses talking about polls, but polls, as somebody said today, and presentational doesn't matter. People's family members died, they lost loved ones. They believed that they would get the truth, that they would get robustness, they would get transparency, they would get accountability. And when that's denied to people, when that's denied to the bereaved, who are giving a voice to the voiceless, that shatters any trust they have in the government process. And, and that's, that's extremely dangerous for our political process because it leaves people disillusioned, lacking belief. We have a position where in, in, there's a lack of belief in the UK government and sadly within Scotland and sadly within Wales, similar situations have now arisen where the COVID period is said, why are you denying us the truth? Why, where is the transparency? Where's the accountability? It's wrong. And they should remember always, the COVID bereaved were promised that they would be front and centre of this inquiry. It wasn't just supposed to be a soundbite, we've always fought for that. Be front and centre, we will get the information, we will get the disclosure, we will get access to all the documents. To find out on the 11th hour, it's not available. 
is destroyed and deleted. Do they think we're buttoned up at the back? Do they think that the bereaved are stupid? They have fought tooth and nail for this because they wanted a legacy. And the only way you get a legacy is they want a legacy whereby when the inevitable pandemic comes around again, that thousands do not lose their lives. But in order to get that legacy, you also need to get the truth. You need to know how decisions were made, what advice was tendered. And it's pretty clear, I'm saying with greatest respect to Nicola Sturgeon. As she sat in the pandemic in Butte House, or she's she really expecting us to believe she sat in Butte House all on her own, never engaged, never talked to anyone by WhatsApp or electronic communication messages, and oh, lo and behold, we can get it off third parties. So why not off third parties? We wanted it off our First Minister. We wanted those messages off our First Minister. That was the message that went out for all those people that are now attacking us, attacking the COVID bereave, for asking these questions, saying, we demand the evidence. Listen to the evidence in this inquiry. It's not for Twitter, it's not for social media. Read the transcripts, read the inquiry, watch what is happening in this inquiry. Go on the websites and you will find the documents detailing exactly the thousands of pages of documents of what is going on. Nicholas Sturgeon, of course, is coming very soon to yes. this inquiry. In light of what's been happening in recent days, have you changed your attitude or your approach to what you think you could try and learn from the former First Minister? Well, I think fundamental questions remain for Ms Sturgeon, as in when were the WhatsApps destroyed and why were they destroyed? Um, I said at the start of this process that it didn't matter to the COVID bereave whoever the individual was, whether they were UK government, whether they were Scottish government, whether they were Welsh government, no matter how powerful, they cannot be allowed to interfere with the course of justice, with the pursuit of truth. Um, uh, those who lost their lives to COVID deserve nothing less. Now, with regards to Miss Sturgeon, she is still to give evidence. The clients who instruct me um, have asked me to consider whole processes in terms of potential criminal points, in terms of a complaint to the Information Commissioner's Office. We will await the outcome of the evidence and then the, whatever necessary steps required to be taken will be taken. But I suspect very much that had Nicola Sturgeon been First Minister at this point in time and we had found out that all the WhatsApps had been destroyed and that senior civil servants were saying, is that FOIable? Destroy it with laughing emojis. They would be called for resignations. That was Amar Anwar speaking to me about his thoughts on the COVID inquiry. I'm going to bring you in here first, Justin. Uh, he sounded he sounded angry at times there, didn't he? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's interesting when you talk about his past as someone who has supported the SNP, as someone who obviously has very close links with the SNP, but he's clearly not happy here. And there's certainly a sense from a lot of people who were perhaps either SNP supporters or sympathetic to Nicola Sturgeon during the pandemic that they feel like they've been, if not lied to, certainly not being told the whole truth. And I think it has to be worrying for the Scottish government. There's a perception growing now that those differences, you know, those vast differences that were seen between Scotland and England or that were perceived as being there between Scotland and England, maybe weren't really there. Maybe, you know, there was a culture of cover up up here. Maybe there's messages that we should be seeing that, you know, we've not had access to yet. So, yeah, I think that was certainly quite a stark interview. And yeah, he's certainly not happy. Well, what do you think might be going through Nicola Sturgeon's mind then before um, her name properly comes up um, in the coming days in the inquiry? Well, I suppose she was always a, a consummate politician when she's in power and she will be at the inquiry to try and give her version of events. She's going to try and, I suppose, give a version of events which makes her look like somebody who is working hard. If she mentions messages that have been lost at all, she will maybe say it's you know it's not been a dishonest thing, it's not been deliberate. 
but I, I'm not sure that's necessarily going to going to wash with a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I certainly would imagine that she knows she's going to have a, a tough task ahead of her. There's a lot of contradictions at the moment, isn't there, where some ministers or some officials say that they don't have their messages, but then somebody like Kate Forbes, for example, did retain her messages. So it begs the question, what was the right policy? If the policy was that messages should have been deleted, was it wrong for somebody like Kate Forbes to retain her messages? I mean, I suppose the one advantage for Sturgeon now is that she is no longer in power. She's still an MSP, of course, but she no longer has to worry about the immediate backlash as First Minister. But you know, she's obviously a, a strong supporter of the SNP. She's the most well-known SNP politician out there. So she has to be a bit worried that this is going to have a bit of a ne- negative impact on her on her party. I mean, opposition parties have been jumping on this. Obviously, Labour yesterday were calling for the this resignation or the sacking of Jason Leach, who I'm sure we'll talk about more soon. So, yeah, she, she must be at least a little bit worried about all this. Yeah. Like you say there, Alistair, one of one of the, the key players here is Jason Leach. He was the, the face of the safety messages in the pandemic. He'll be very familiar to everyone listening to this, uh, from Scotland at least. Um, is his position tenable? You know, there was a really interesting moment yesterday where Jason Leach was asked about misinformation and how he he responded to that. And he said that um, the sort of approach was that um, you should continue to tell the truth as you know it. And I think that that sums up the attitude of quite a lot of these people. I don't think they believe they did anything wrong. They, I don't think they believe that. I think they somehow think that the the anger about how they behaved is, is you know, misunderstood or, or unjustified. Um, I, I think he probably won't lose his job. Um, I think he will be protected by, by ministers. Um, and I, I think... Um, the, the trust in public institutions will be will be poorer as as a result. Mm-hmm. The jokey stuff that they they talk about in the you know it's all banter. There's a lot of emojis. There's there's jokes, but when you see them written down in the way that we're seeing the inquiry, it doesn't look the same. But this jokey stuff is basically comments that that people would have made anyway if they're meeting in person and chatting. You know, you know whether just in an office or more informally or just in the street, whatever. There's a debate to be had maybe about what constitutes normal behaviour in social media messages or you know private messages, I should say, maybe just in the way that our everyday nonsense is recorded for posterity, where it would never have been before. But we're kind of talking about this really in a, in a more specific way than, than that wider debate about this more philosoph- philosophical, I suppose. And the main backlash is just, as Amar says, it's like getting blood out of a stone. If you can't be straight in Parliament or to a formal inquiry, what else are you lying about or what else are you trying to deflect from? And if there's another pandemic, the trust will be nowhere near the same. Regular listeners will know that we've been at the heart of covering the campaign for answers for patients who are harmed by former Tayside neurosurgeon Sam Eljamel. He is a a familiar name to, to regular listeners here. Why is this being linked to him now, Justin? So yesterday, um, readers of The Courier may have seen a story last night, which we published, which essentially reveals that Jason Leach, to a degree, is involved in the process of one-to-one reviews, which will be held into cases to do with Eljamel. So he obviously harmed more than 100 patients during his time at NHS Tayside. The, the big news in September was obviously the announcement that there will be a full independent public inquiry held into the scandal. But alongside that, 
patients will be able to request or you know will get individual reviews of their cases to find out what went wrong, what could have been done differently, why mistakes were made, um, which will be a long process. Now, obviously, Jason Leach's official role is the National Clinical Director, and I suppose this is a clinical matter. So he certainly wouldn't imagine that he'll be the guy who is sitting down reviewing the cases individually. But from what we've been told and from what we're aware, he will be involved in the process of certainly deciding a chair. And in that senior role, you know, the buck is still going to fall with him if things go wrong, I suppose. And he needs to make sure that that's a process that runs smoothly through other civil servants and other officials. So um, we obviously revealed that last night. And Joe Rose, a campaigner who was harmed by El Jamel, one of the lead campaigners who played a key role in securing the public inquiry, she essentially said that she had no confidence in Jason Leach, given what had come out during his hearing yesterday. She's not the only patient that feels that way. There is obviously a sense, there's a wider sense that Jason Leach maybe shouldn't stay in his job. And I think what's happened with El Jamel over the years, it, there's certain similarities to what's going on with COVID. I mean, we have a COVID inquiry right now. We're going to have an El Jamel inquiry. And it touches on issues like trust and transparency when it comes to healthcare and when it comes to officials. I mean, Patients of El Jamel have spent years fighting for the truth, years fighting for transparency. It was only last year before the public inquiry came out that we saw new revelations from the NHS Tayside Health Board, which revealed that NHS Tayside had not dealt with this scandal properly at the time. You know, key leadership figures had not done enough to stop El Jamel. He shouldn't have been operating for as long as he was. And, and you can see those similarities there. I mean, officials back then would not have been using WhatsApp, but... When you see chat about deleting WhatsApps and about, you know, mass deletion being a ritual, whether it's a joke or not, and about plausible deniability and warnings about, you know, this could be subject to freedom of information. That is stuff that is all very, very familiar to LGMEL's patients. They've spent years dealing with that. So yeah. I think there's a sense that if Jason Leach has been involved in this culture of deletion and cover up and has not been transparent, they don't really want to see him anywhere near any aspect of this process. Okay. Of course, we'll, be, we'll cover that story and the COVID inquiry, and we'll have more on the LGML uh, stories in print and online for anyone who wants to find out more about that. And that's it for this week. Thanks to Amar Anwar for speaking to us, to Alistair Clark, Justin Bowie, and producer Morvan McIntyre. We'll be back next week for more. Until then, pick up a paper or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, Sunday Post, and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed. 